Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to transform the world within you and transform the world around you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Did you know that only 31% of kids in America believe in God? A concerning statistic that correlates with other trends like increased anxiety, depression, and suicide rates in our youth. Is it possible that the content that our kids are exposed to in this digital age is playing a role here? On average, kids spend over seven hours a day in front of a screen, and screens aren't going away. What options do we have as parents and grandparents to protect our children and help them grow in faith? If you're as concerned as I am, and you also believe in the value of raising our children on solid faith foundations and positive Christian values like I do, then I'm excited to tell you about a company that's fighting back by meeting kids right where they are. True Play Games is a mobile app that offers high-quality faith-building alternatives to toxic content that is pervasive today. It's one app with dozens of entertaining games, comics, and animated shorts, and every piece of content in the True Play app is designed with care to be engaging, entertaining, and most importantly, true to the Word of God. True Play effectively turns game time into God time, delivering peace of mind in these turbulent times. You can learn more and try it out for free at trueplay.com. That's T-R-U-P-L-A-Y games.com. Well, welcome to Cultural Catalyst, where we help you learn how to live fully alive, co-labor with God, and change the world. And I am your host, Chris Valentin. And I am, it says thrilled right here. I'm not thrilled, but I, I am honored to have Bob Hassan, who's been my friend for many, many years on our show. And Bob, I am going to read this. Bob wears many, many hats. Successful businessman. He's an author, podcast, hope, and a consultant. He's the founder and CEO of HPCI. I didn't know what that stands for. A national commercial painting company that's been thriving since 78 and under your leadership. And beyond the business world, Bob's also spent decades in this part I know well as a value consultant and also um, helped with a lot, a lot of churches, even with our church and uh, also Jesus Culture. And you guys are helping with the church plant there in Jesus Culture in San Diego. So you've got a lot of hats in that. And um, and you've written a book called Shortcuts. That's another book I haven't finished, but I have started. The Proven Path to Purpose, Excellence, and Calling. Hey, so thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. I'm really honored. Yeah, I I I love you so much. Hey, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your background. Just give us an overview so people have an understanding of of who we're talking to. And and uh, gosh, your 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 uh, connection to the church goes way back, even to the days of if anyone would know Lonnie Frisbee. You were friends with Lonnie Frisbee, which we've had some very interesting dialogues about that. But you've just been a part. You've been a business guy that's been a part of the church for just absolutely decades. Yeah, you know, Chris, the Lord found me in 1978 at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Uh, I got um, I got baptized at Pirates Cove. The same year I started my business. Wow. It was a sort of an important year, and I, I'm really not smart enough. I've done the same business my entire life for almost 45 years. Wow. And... Uh, I'm a commercial painting contractor. HPCI stands for Hassan Painting Contractors Inc. Just oh, yeah, that's pretty deep. That's yeah, deep. I know it. It's deep. 
Uh, but the deep part of my life is I've been married to Lauren for 36 years and she, she's the most amazing person. We have four kids, two boys, two girls, and two grandkids. And so I'm just like the luckiest guy in the world. You, uh, and your wife is, uh, she's, uh, she's as crazy as you are. We are, we are good friends. Yeah. You, you know, in your book, Shortcuts, you describe the biggest problems with world stance on the path to success, like the way the world views success and the way the kingdom should be viewing success. Share, share a few, uh, you know, what are the, you know, what are the contrasts and what are the flaws in, you know, we got a lot of, be- a lot of believers who become business people, right? And yet they, they actually enter business with, with the wrong core values or we'll say the world's core values. What do you see as the difference and, and how, how would you, you know, how would you adjust that? Well, I think in every area of our life, Chris, Jesus is our secret sauce. Yeah. And if we, if we can just utilize him in every area of our life, but what I see with business people, believers will, will be in business and they'll hang their Christian hat at the door on the way to, uh, on the way to work and, and they go to work and they act like the world. Yeah. And, and I think being compartmentalized is one of the main issues that we have in our walk of faith and uh if we can incorporate our walk of faith in every area of our life i think we're going to do better so how does that play out well people in businesses are 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 they're operating with fear instead of love in other words i'm in an environment uh, at work where I can cl- steal ideas. I can climb over your back. There's all these different things I can yeah. do. And, and it's not kingdom principle. So, uh, you know, one of the things I love about you talking about being a cultural catal- catalyst is kingdom principles. Yeah. What we need to bring into our jobs. Uh, 98% of us, 90, uh, over 98% of us work in the marketplace outside of, uh, outside of, um, uh, the, the church. And so there's a whole slew of us who have to be looking at what does it, what does it mean to operate under kingdom principles? You know, what, what scriptures that, you know, what scriptures come to mind when I ask you, like what scriptures are guiding some of your principles in business? Like what things, you know, we're talking about kingdom principles, obviously coming from the scripture. What, what kind of, what kind, like, how are you practically applying the scripture to your everyday life, and especially in the area of business? Well, I have, I deal with anxiety and I deal with shame and I deal with all these things that I've worked through, you know, over the years. And early in my life, uh, in my business life, the Lord gave me Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Acknowledge him in all your ways. Uh, uh, Lean not into your own understanding. He'll direct your paths. Well, I apply that specifically to business instead of trust the lord with all your heart i'll say something like trust the lord with this litigation that you're dealing with lean not into my own understanding i i i make it specific and and this is a scripture everyone knows but uh this is something a scripture that i use in my life and in my business over and over and over again because i feel like you know being a type a personality being a, a enneagram eight being a disc D, I'm I'm going to always try to control something, so I'm I'm always taking a step back, and 
And, you know, when I talk to people, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 always comes up to me for, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord for a hope and a future. And, and I think people need to get that. I think people need to understand that they, that God can give them courage and has their back. So those are the two scriptures that I readily stand on in my life and in my business. Have you ever, um, I know you have, so is, describe a time when, you know, you wanted one thing and, you know, you wanted, and the Lord wanted another. <laughs> and, you're, you, you know, you know how we get in these conflicts, like, I want to kill this guy, you know? I want to sue this guy. I want to fire this guy. And the Lord intervenes in, in, in your heart and you're like, okay, maybe this is supposed to have a different outcome. So I'm going to tell you a story. We were painting uh, the Stanford, the new Stanford Hospital, a number of years ago, and we got into a big multi-million dollar plane, and it came to a head. And my team and I flew up to Palo Alto. We went into a conference room with uh, the general contractor, the owners, representatives, the owner, and mediators. And we sat down, uh, and. In the opening remarks, the owner's rep went ballistic. He started yelling. He told the general contractor they were the worst general contractor in the world. They told us we were the worst painting contractor in the world. He started yelling and screaming and cussing. Hmm. I am sitting there, and uh, I get into this where I start shaking. Like, I've got two options. Are you shaking because you're mad, or are you shaking because you're scared? Both. <laughs> The first option is to is to go over the table and throttle the guy. Yeah. The second option, because yeah, you know, my father was uh, yelled a lot and was abusive. Me getting yelled at brings all that stuff up. So I, I thought I was going to cry. Yeah. And then as I was trying to figure out what to do, the Lord said, "You can do this." And so I heard his voice, and I said to this guy, Joe. My team and I came up here uh, in goodwill. I will not participate in a disrespectful conversation. If you'd like to resolve this conflict, if you'd like to resolve this dispute, that's why we're here. But my team and I are going to go outside for 15 minutes. And we'll come back. And if you want to resolve the dispute, that's fine. So we walked out. We were all shaking. My team's like, F those guys. You know what? <laughs> Let's get on the plane and go. And I said, no, we're, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to go back in, which we did. Before I even sat down, Joe said, Bob, will you forgive me? I don't operate this way. I've been under a tremendous amount of pressure. Wow. And I said, well, of course. And 10 minutes later, we had a favorable settlement. Wow. And, and so the reason I tell this, it's such an amazing story. The reason I tell the story is because I had been practicing hearing God's voice for a lot of years, not in tense times. And so what happened to me in a tense time, I was able somehow, when I thought I only had two options, to hear his voice and then allow him to work on Joe and that whole team to get the dispute resolved. Yeah. That's a, that's an amazing story, and, and you know, interesting because when you're outside of the Lord, like when you move outside of His presence, I, I, I don't I don't mean theologically He's gone, but you don't sense His presence. It feels like you have limited options, right? 
But then you get in a situation like, oh, there's a third option, <laughs> something you didn't think about at all, right? Right. And it, and, it, and it turns out good. And when you have a few of those, then you start to, you get into dispute like that, and you're like, okay, I remember what happened before. Thank all. <laughs> well, I'm so hard-headed. It takes me a while to remember what happened. Oh, yes, man. You're right. Um, I'm like that, too. What's been some of the biggest challenges that you faced while building your business, and how did you overcome them? Like, you know, you just named one right there. That's that's pretty huge. But you've been in business for a long, long time, man. So, And business, you know, I, I think we should just be honest. Like, business is tough, right? Business is tough. It is. It's not easy. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Absolutely. My message as a consultant is, it, you've got a good idea. You you move forward, and uh, you're going to hit headwaters. I mean, Jesus did not promise us that when we accepted Him that our that we would be rainbows and unicorns and fairies. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I think sometimes in my life, uh, having Jesus has allowed me to get through these situations where if I didn't have Him, I don't know how I'd get through. But in my business, there's been many, many ups and downs. And uh, one of the things that I think about when you ask that question is it took 30 years before our business hit its first home run. So in 30 years, it was single or a double or a triple play or all these things were happening. It took 30 years before we had a, a, a major, a major job go right. And that was in the 2008 housing crisis we we did some jobs that worked out great and while everybody was going bankrupt and businesses were going uh, having a hard time people kept saying how's your business i kept saying amazing and but and they'd be like how and and i'd say god do i look like i'm smart enough to be able to be having amazing business through this recession no it's all god and god's faithfulness and i think i think what one of the things that i see is if, if we're if we continue to see God through all the circumstances, uh, he's faithful to us. Doesn't mean we're always going to be successful. Totally, yeah. uh, I had, I had plenty of friends who, you know, were overnight successes. Or if you look on social media, you see all these influencers or people who are standing in front of their Learjets and it's like, wow, how did this happen? Um, for me, it took almost 45 years to be an overnight success. Yeah, God takes a long time to act suddenly. Yeah, right. Bob, do you think that we've never actually had this conversation, this part of the conversation. Do you think that was because there was things you needed to learn? Or do you think that's just the natural momentum of, you know, being faithful and longevity and your reputation gets better and better and, and people, more people know you and, and then, you know, you get bigger. In your case, you get bigger and bigger jobs and, and the, 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 the chance for profit, for higher profits are in these, uh, you know, these larger jobs. Do you think it's that, or do you, do, you, do you think there was something you had to learn, or you, you know, did did you not have faith to 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 actually bid on the larger jobs, or what? What, what do you? Why do you think it took so long? You, you think that's just a normal process? That's an interesting question, Chris. I I've always bid on larger jobs. You know, yeah. we've been turned down early in our life, early in our business career, because we didn't have the financial wherewithal to, to be able to get bonded to get the bigger jobs. Yeah, bidding. and I think God was protecting me. In my case, He showed me how to build a business over time, and 
one of the things that Lauren and I have always been really, really faithful in is generosity. Yeah, yeah. And so as we've as as the business has grown, we've continued to be generous. And I and I and I can't prove it, but you know, the Bible's replete with uh uh scriptures on tithing. But I think the the reason that we were able to make it through all these years is because of the faithfulness towards uh God's church and and uh generosity which which i think is a which is a really really amazing part of god's plan yeah when you look back i'm sure like like everyone that's done anything you have some regrets some things you would do differently is there anything that stands out you know people ask me this question because i'm ancient and they're like hey what would you tell your younger self <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. But, you know, do you, is there any major lessons that you learned that you would love to go back and revisit in your, in your you know, business life or personal life, really? You know, I think looking back in my business, um, <coughs> when I was an infant company, I would work for anybody who'd take me. Yeah. And when I became an adolescent, I got cocky and thought, well, if the next guy can do it for this price, I can do it for that price because I'm smarter than them. And and I went through a season of building relationships with general contractors and then <laughs> saying, well, if my competitor can do it for that price, I'll match it. And coincidentally, every one of those jobs we lost money on. And so the thing that, that I've, I've learned is, you know, my price is my price. And, and maybe I, a point or two I could negotiate, but not uh, any, any more than that. Uh, and that's one thing it's really, really, I've learned it's really, really hard to say no to good things. Yeah. And in our, in our personal life, that goes true. Uh, there's so many good things out there that people ask you to do and you can't do them all. Uh, and so it, it's, it's wisdom says you're going to have to say no to good things and be okay with it. And people are going to have to understand that. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to know what's the good thing, right? And what's the God thing? Like what door did God open? And yeah. what door is an open door that, you know, is uh, you, you know, you knocked enough and the person finally said, fine, I'm opening the door, but it's not really the one you should go through. Right. Yeah. You know, I, saying that, uh, uh, about 15 years ago, the Lord started speaking to me and saying, will you say yes to me? Now, I'd been a Christian for three decades. Yeah. And I started like, well, what do you mean? My whole life is yes to you. And he kept asking me this to the point where I was getting a little frustrated with him and like, like, is there, am I in sin? Is there something going on? And then he reframed the question and said, if people that you love, honor, and care about ask you to do something, will you say yes? And that put, uh, you know, flesh and skin on the bones of the question. And I really had to think about it. And because of my background, I, my initial thought was, well, if, some, if it's somebody who likes me, they're probably not going to ask me to do something to try to embarrass me or make me look stupid. Yeah. And so after this process, I said, yes. And what do you think happened? Like, all my friends started asking me to do things that were outside of my wheelhouse that I had never done before that I wasn't good at. And God stretched me that way uh, to to bring me, you know, into a, a deeper yes with Him. Wow. 
What you know, you wrote this book uh, around business, and you and you're also consulting. I realize you're not trying to build your consulting business. You're you're buried. But what's the what are the most common pitfalls that you see? And and you know, in your book, you you talk about some of those pitfalls. Let's talk about a few of those pitfalls that you see. What what are the most common ones that you just run into with you know guys you're consulting with and 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 and, and chapters in the book that you you know spoke about some of these things. Well, young people expect to get rich and be a millionaire by the time they're 25. Yeah. And before I got on social media, I couldn't, in 2017, I couldn't understand why they kept telling you this. And I kept saying, where do you hear that? Because, uh, you know, that Gallup poll says the average age of a millionaire is 56. So once I got on social media and started seeing the highlight reels, I understood what our uh, younger generations are dealing with, actually, that there's this there's this myth out there that everybody's doing better than them. So, hence the name shortcuts. There, yeah. there aren't really any shortcuts. Yeah. Like, God can do anything. I've, he, I, I've had a bunch of orthopedic surgeries. God's never healed me in the front of a church, but he's healed me by a surgeon mm-hmm. and physical therapy in time. Yeah. In my business, I I would I didn't get get rich quick. And I'm not saying I'm rich, I just didn't get rich quick. Yeah. So so what I what I'm trying to say is it takes time. And and the in in the book Shortcuts, I talk about the journey of purpose, the process. We have to be willing to enter into the process with God. Yeah. And and let him direct our paths. Uh, there's chapter five is one of my favorite chapters. The title is, do you deserve passion? Because I hear young people say, Hey, I'm just not passionate about this job. And when you and I, when you started in the gas station and I started in my Volkswagen bug as a painter, there was no passion there. We have to provide for our family. Yep. And, uh, but, but I know that in this younger (laughs) generation, it's a, it's a different place. So I'm trying to help them understand like, Passion can be part of your life. It just might not be associated to your work until you become really proficient. Malcolm Gladwell writes in his book uh, about the 10,000 hour. Yeah. Um, We become, we become experts at 10,000 hours. Well, if you take that, if you mathematically take that, there's the 2,040 work hours (laughs) in a year. Yeah. So. If you worked full time at playing the guitar or doing whatever you were passionate about, it would take you five years to become an expert and proficient. And and I think people don't want to hear about the journey, but but that's it's the truth in my life and your life and others' lives also. I was listening to an interview and also I read the same quote in I think in, it might have been in that same book where Paul McCartney, they were interviewing Paul McCartney and about the uh, the Beatles band, the band The Beatles, and uh, and and he made the statement. He said, uh, we went to England, no, we went to Germany, in Hamburg, Germany, and we played 365 straight days, and I think they I think they played like three times a day, and he said, we were terrible when we when we got to Germany, and we were great when we left, you know, as as a band. Just what you're saying, like you know, it it, it just takes time, right? It gets, takes time to get in, to build a rhythm, and to actually get proficient at whatever it is that you do. And, and I'm not saying that if you're young, you you can't 
have wild success because I've yeah. seen plenty of young people. Yeah. As a matter of fact, you just had my friend Brian Ellis on. Yeah. He, he's a young man and having great success. And I, and I celebrate that. It's just for me and for lots of other people I know, it's been a process and a journey. Let's let's talk about what is success because I, I think that I think that's another challenge, right? Because if if success is only about outcomes and God has the ultimate control over the outcome, which we know as older men that that's true, and you can work your butt off and make no money, and you can be faithful and and as you pointed out, like ha- there can be a miracle. Or like I'd say that's Brian Ellis's story. He has this idea, and you know, I think like year three, his business did like a hundred million dollars and made massive profits. You know, and it was just, you know, it, it was just, it was just a a, a miracle. But the out, outcomes, I, I don't know how responsible we are for outcomes. In in my opinion, yeah. Well, you ask me about success, and I come back to this: our identity is that we're loved sons and daughters of God. And as soon as we can understand that, that we are loved sons and daughters of God, then the outcome or the performance goes away. Because I could I could end up life in prison or I could end up a trillionaire and it wouldn't make any difference to God because I would be his loved son. So I think people need to rec- step back and recognize that God hung on the cross for the remission of our sins and by grace we're saved. And here we are now trying to perform for him when in, in fact, if we rest in our identity that we're loved sons and daughters, it gives us the ability to move forward. To me, success isn't, doesn't have anything to do with money. It doesn't have anything to do with, uh, raises or bonuses. It doesn't have anything to do with the, the position you are in life. It has to do with how are you affecting lives of the people that you love and that love you and your and your community. I I'll, I'll ask you this last question. It's it's a tough question. Man, woman's in business. Things are tough. They've got a lot invested. When do you know to quit? Chris, you know I'm a covenant person, and so um, if you isolate, you'll never know when to continue or to quit. And so my answer to that is to be with people who love you and who you trust, and be in the journey and the process with them, having people praying for what really is happening. Now, if you're in a technical business where uh, you, you know you're worried about your stock price and and you're 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 going to need to have a group of advisors to help you understand like it's time to go bankrupt or it's time to quit, but but it's always with a group of people and uh, I I think um, being isolated is the number one disease, if you will, for leaders when they get isolated, things happen. I can't answer other than make sure that you're surrounded with people and you're talking to people and you're and you're going through your process. I completely agree. And I, I think that having a, a, a team of wise people that you're accountable to that are outside of the emotional, you know, 
energy of your business, right? And because you got your employees, you got your suppliers, you got your customers, and you got your family who are all emotionally involved in it can be in these decisions, right? And and having a trusted, you know, team of people, let's just call them friends that are wise and that you can sit with and say, here's my situation, what would you do? Who are detached from all of the emotion of it and all the fears of if I make this decision, this is the worst thing that's going to happen. If I make, and I don't, that brings me anxiety. And sometimes I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of in the situation where I'm going to do what creates the least anxiety, which which has the least fear attached to it. And maybe that's not the right decision to make. Yeah. Right. I mean, you talk about fear and. It's debilitating, and you know I, I deal with it, and every other business person I know deals with it. And and by having a group of friends around you, advisors, whatever the word you want to use, is, is really really important. It's been important in my life. Yeah, it's important in my life. And the the worst decision I ever made in business was made against the advice of my two my two friends. We we actually had a a, co- a business covenant relationship. They were in the uh, the uh, the uh, trust uh, banking business, and you know I was in the auto parts business, and we we met every week and and just talked about each other's business. And uh, the 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 last thing I ever did in business was against both of their counsel. They're like, "This is not a good thing. You're not ready for this." And I didn't listen to them. And what's really beautiful in that in the end of that story is uh, they were absolutely right. It absolutely cost me a ton of money. I had trouble making payrolls. They came over and said, hey, we're going to help you make your payrolls. They made my payrolls. I, they, I paid them back every penny w- without interest, and they never even asked for the money back. But, you know, th- that's a true friend. They tell you not to do it. You do it anyway. And they're like, ah, we're still with this bozo. <laughs> we're still with this bozo. So I'm asking every guest this question, which I actually forgot to ask you. What do you believe, what do you believe it takes to and what do you, what's it mean to be a cultural catalyst? Well, I wrote a book with our friend Danny Silk called Business of Honor, which was based on his book, Culture of Honor. Yeah. And so I believe yeah. in building culture. And, and so everywhere I go, I'm trying to build a team and, and build culture that's based on love, not fear. First John 4.19 says, love can't coexist with fear because fear has to do with punishment. So what, what does it mean to me to be a cultural catalyst is to be building, be the catalyst of building a culture that's based on love, as simple as that. And it, it has to have boundaries. And yes, I'm a businessman and people get fired and people get reprimanded and all these different things happen. Yeah. But, but that's my goal is to be the uh, is to build a cultural to uh, be to build a culture and be the catalyst in building that culture. And Jesus, of course, is at the top. How how do you do that? Like, give just give a couple of practical steps. I understand you're not going to. I mean, read the book, right? Read the book. But uh, ultimately, you know, you didn't write a you didn't write an entire book because you can say it in three lines. But like, what are a couple of ideas and how you would build a culture of uh, of honor? inside a inside of a business we're talking about business right now well you know in my office uh right now there's no believers 
I love each one of them. Every day I go in, I sit down in front of their desk and say, Hey, you know, how was the weekend or what's going on? Tell me about your, I know all about their families. I know I have invested into them uh, because I'm bent towards the father. They're seeing, they're seeing the father through me. And, uh, and so one of the ways that I build a culture is by caring for people, holding them accountable, but caring for them. And, uh, you know, these people will take a bullet. They'll work overtime. They'll travel out of town. They'll do things that, um, are not convenient for them because of the fact that I pay them above industry standard. Uh, and they know that my, that my heart is for them. And I think that gets back to the essence of the gospel. And, and that's what my goal is, is just to bring the gospel, whether I'm using words or not. That's really powerful. Yeah. And there's, there's no way that you still don't have to confront people, you know, at times reprimand them at times. And I think it's, it's more about how you do it than the fact that you do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my model for feedback is asking questions. So most of the time, People do not know they're being confronted when, when I'm giving them feedback because I'm asking them questions. And the questions lead to discussion. And I end up getting, you know, the answers I want or finding out what, what the problem was. I mean, I, by, by asking questions. When everything in my mind is, wants to say, why do you do such a stupid thing? <laughs> something like, can you help me understand why you made that decision? And, and it, and it, it foments conversation and the conversation is what I'm looking for because I'm not looking to point blame. I'm looking to resolve a problem, uh, 99% of the time. And, and that, uh, is a, again, coming back to cultural catalysts. I don't want to put people on the defense. I want people to be, you know, free and open. That that's a, that's a really good principle right there. Something I should have used yesterday, actually. <laughs> Why did we do such a stupid thing? Oh, um, can you tell me why you did such a stupid thing? No, I... I let, me, let me help you again. Let me help you again, all right? I know this is foreign to you. Can you help me understand why you made that decision? Oh, that's how it works. Okay. That, that will probably take a little practice with me. It's not, I'll, send you, I'll send you some notes. You got Like, read the book. Okay, speaking of reading the book, how do we get shortcuts? How do we get... Uh, what's it's called business of honor. No, what's the name of the book? A oh, business of honor is whatever with Danny, 2017 yeah. shortcuts you can get on Amazon. You could go to bobhassan.com. Um, but I think Amazon's the easiest way to get it. And then I'm really active on, uh, Instagram. So at Bob Hassan, or I think just look for the guy with gray hair. <laughs> uh, it's I, I sure, I sure appreciate you having me on Chris. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. To stay connected, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter at chrisvalentin.com forward slash subscribe. God bless you.